would you like to go over and preach? And um, I was not prepared. I was not ready uh, per se. But I said, yes, sir, I would love to. I love going over here uh, because this is the church that started Cornerstone Baptist Church, where we go. So uh, obviously it'd be an a honor to preach over here as well. I love your pastor. Um, I love talking to him, listening to him. Um, and listening to his knowledge, his wisdom. He's got a lot of experience, and uh, just love your pastor, and I uh, love, love your people here. I love being over here. Take your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 4 tonight, Luke chapter 4, and uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, and this is, a, this is a familiar passage of Scripture for a lot of people who have studied the Word of God for a long time, and uh, so hopefully, um, you know, you're uh, your pastor's wife, she's, I, I, I believe she's speaking, right, at the ladies' conference that she went to? Okay, yeah. So, you know, she's probably studied the Word of God, come across this passage as well. My sister-in-law is speaking at a uh, ladies' conference up in Montana this week as well. And I know she had her Bible out, she was studying. And it's always good to see people studying the Bible for themselves, amen? And you have those, those speakers that study that out and go and deliver that to others and and really, my, my heart's desire tonight is not to do the studying for you, but to really kind of give you something and that, would, that would really spur you on to um, another level of studying God's Word for yourself. Amen? I just don't think we're ever going to get to the place where we know God's Word enough. Amen? And so hopefully that's the case. But, uh, you know, you think about these ladies' conferences, and uh, it makes me, makes me remember a time uh, I heard about at a a women's liberation movement uh, meeting they had. and Now, I'm sure that's not what they're doing at those ladies' conferences, right? A- amen? Okay. I hope not. Anyway, uh, uh, the speaker was just really all fired up and gung-ho and a and, uh, big room filled with ladies. And she said, where will all these men be without women? Yeah, it sounded like that. Janelle, come on, where would all these men be? Where would man be without woman? And uh, somebody in the back piped up and said, probably in the Garden of Eden eating strawberries. (laughs) I thought it was funny myself too, but I'm not a lady, so I could laugh at it, I guess. (laughs) Amen. It's good to have fun once in a while, right? All right, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and uh, let's start reading there. We'll read down through verse 30. The Bible says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. You know, I'm going to give you some encouraging thoughts as we go through this before we get to the main message, because there's so many encouraging thoughts in here. I love how it says that it was Jesus' custom, our Savior's custom, our example His custom was to get into the house of God on that day of worship. Now, we don't worship on the Sabbath day anymore. We worship on the Lord's Day Sunday. We all understand that. And we know why. That's the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And from that day forward, it was known as the Lord's Day. But it was Jesus' custom to be in the house of God, to worship God on that day set aside to worship. Amen? And uh, so, you know, it's encouraging to me because I'll be honest... Uh, sometimes it gets to me when people say, well, what's the big deal about church? Well, there's one of those verses right there that I can point to and say, you know, if Jesus was walking this earth right now, his custom would be to be in the house of God on Sunday. Amen? 
That's what his custom would be. So if that's where I line up, amen. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that because I get to be lined up with Jesus. The Bible says next in, in uh, verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is another encouraging thought to me, that Jesus wants his house filled with those kinds of people. Those were the people that he was looking for. The ones that were broken hearted. The ones that needed deliverance because they were captive. The ones that needed recovering because they were blind. And I believe he was speaking specifically of the spiritual blindness. And to set at liberty them that had been bruised, had been hurt in this world. And I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of candidates out there to bring into God's house that fall in that category. Amen? I mean, more every day. And then the Bible says in verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And it's interesting because if you were to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, where he quotes that from, where he reads that from, he stops short. And it's, and it's just a testimony to the knowledge that Jesus Christ had to stop short because that he kept reading. He would have read the acceptable year of the Lord connected to the day of vengeance of our God. And there's a separation. You see, the acceptable year of the Lord was his first advent when he was born in that, in that manger, when he came and he died on the cross for our sin. The, the, the day of vengeance of our God is the second time that Jesus returns. And uh, so he stopped short. And we know that there's that gap of time, the church age. And uh, this, it's amazing how well Jesus knew the Scripture. Amen? You think he'd wrote it. Amen? And the Bible says in verse 20, And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And I think it's important that we remember where he is. Verse 16, where does it say that he is at? Nazareth. Now you can imagine why all the eyes are fixed on him as he sits down. Because his next words say in verse 21, And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This would be, a, this would be quite a thing for, for them to understand and to comprehend because they, they were looking at somebody that was saying to them, Here I am. I'm the promised one. I'm the one you've been waiting for. This day, right now, has that scripture, that prophecy, been fulfilled right here, right today. That would be quite the, quite the uh, statement for us to receive here in this place. You know, we, we kind of have an advantage. When Jesus returns again, He's not going to return in such a fashion where He stands up and He says, Here I am, that, that uh, you can either believe on Me or not. No, when Jesus appears this next time, he won't step foot on earth. He'll be in heaven, in the heavens, in the sky, and we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then the next time he comes, he'll be coming with an army. He'll be riding a, he'll be riding a white horse, and he'll be, he'll be followed by his saints. And so he won't, he won't give them that opportunity to say, here I am, you can believe on me. 
So we have that advantage. We don't, we don't necessarily have to study the Scriptures, per se, to know that that's going to happen. And when it happens, we can recognize it. But these folks, they would have had to have studied the Scripture to know when the acceptable year of the Lord would have been. And had they studied the Scriptures and done the math, they surely would have come down to right about then. And so he goes on, the Bible says in verse 22, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up there three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but none unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the, name, in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went away. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. How many of you, if you had the opportunity to raise your hand right now would say, you know, there are people in my own family, there are people in in my surroundings that know me well, and even though I know what I'm talking about, I give them biblical wisdom, I I know what I'm saying to them is true, they kind of like just count me as a a nobody, and, and, and maybe they know some of your faults, and maybe that's why they don't listen. But maybe you can relate to Jesus in this passage where the people who knew him rejected him. He was sent unto his own, and his own received him not, the Bible says. How many of you can relate to that? You tried to go unto your own, and they didn't receive you. They didn't receive the message of Jesus Christ. They don't necessarily listen to what God's Word says. And I want to give you that last encouraging thought before we get right into the message that Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected by those who should listen. Amen? But nevertheless, he kept right on trucking, didn't he? Amen? We follow that example. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get right into the message. Father in heaven, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the pleasure of just being able to read the word of God and to be able to preach tonight. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd fill me with the spirit of God and help me to preach only the words you'd have me to preach, to be an encourager and to deliver strength to Jerome Bible Baptist Church, this great church I pray that, God, you'd make them to have the greatest year they've ever had in Patch Club. I I pray that their soul-winning efforts would be blessed and become fruitful like they've never seen before. And I pray that, dear God, tonight when they leave this place, they would be convinced that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If I began to tell a story, I bet you almost everybody in here would know the story. There once was a boy who got hired to watch some sheep. Now, as they took him out to watch the sheep, they, the, the man who was, 
who was in charge of getting him trained and ready, uh, showed him where the pastures were, where the sheep needed to be, where the different things were at to, to get the sheep moved around and everything. And, he's, and then his last instruction was, you just got to be aware that in this area there are wolves. And, and, the, and the, when the wolves come in, you need to understand that they are dangerous. They don't just go after the sheep sometimes. But they will come after a shepherd. If, if they're given the opportunity or they think that, that is, that's something they can accomplish, they will come after a shepherd. And so this is what you do if you see a wolf. You cry, what? Wolf. And we'll come running and we'll help you to either save the sheep or we'll get you out of the trouble that you're in. And, that's what, and we all work together on this. And so we know the story. The story goes that, that this boy is out there watching the sheep. And day one goes by, and it's okay. Day two comes, and he's getting bored. Wants a little action. He's sitting up in the tree, and he's watching the sheep, and he decides, I wonder what will happen if I cry wolf. So he cries wolf. And out, come the, out comes all, all the other shepherds and everybody from the town. They come running out. They've got their pitchforks. They've got everything they need. They're going to run this wolf off, kill it if they can, and they come out, and there's no wolf. And the boy's sitting in the tree laughing. Right? Heard this story? Everybody heard this story? Day, day three comes, and man, he thought that was great. And so he gets bored. He decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it again. And he cries wolf, and again, they all come running out. Day four, same thing. And then the infamous day five comes. And a wolf shows up. And he cries wolf. And what happens? Nobody showed up. And the wolf ate him. Right? You know, sometimes we get to the point in our Christian life where we think our ability to make a difference for Christ falls on deaf ears like the boy that cried wolf. And we have spent our time sharing the gospel, and we have spent our time trying to invest in other people, and I can testify to you tonight that I have been let down, and I have been burned, and I have, I have sunk my time and my energy into a lot of different people to see them walk with God for a while, but just like that seed that fell on the stony ground, it seemed like when things got hot and things got hard, they kind of just faded away. And, and I stood back, and, I, and every time, it never changes, I think to myself, what did I do wrong? How could I have done it different? What could I have done to make something stick, to make something last? Anybody ever had those thoughts? And you kind of get to the point where you think, man, I don't know, but I don't think anybody's ever going to listen ever again. And you, want, and you slip into something that I believe these people in Nazareth had come to. And I want to give you three warnings from Scripture tonight, and then we'll be done. Number one, don't let the miraculous become mundane. Don't let the miraculous become mundane. 
Now, I don't know how they arrived at this place and how they arrived at this opinion of Jesus. We know that Jesus was not known as a sinner. We know that Jesus was not known as a disobedient or a disrespectful or a rebellious child. That would have categorized him as a normal, everyday human being who who has a sin nature. And we know that our Savior didn't have a sin nature or else he couldn't have died on the cross for our, our sins. Amen? But but somehow, as they watched this boy grow up in Nazareth, and they watched him do his very best, and and they watched him develop skills and abilities in carpentry, and they watched him take care of his mom and his family after his his earthly father had had passed away, we assume, uh, it never clicked. They, They watched this miracle child every day, and it just became mundane. It just became something they got used to. It just became something that that was everyday and ordinary. Now, I don't know how you get to that place. Or do I? Has the miraculous ever become mundane in my life? Oh, yeah. Have you ever read through Romans chapter 8? Keep your finger in Luke chapter 4, and I want you to look over at Romans chapter 8 with me. Now, how many of you, as you turn over to Romans chapter 8, would admit, I have read Romans chapter 8? I have read it. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. How many would say, I have read Romans chapter 8 at least five times? Okay. How many would say, I've read Romans chapter 8 probably ten times? Okay. How many would say, I've read Romans chapter 8 probably 20 times? Wow. Wow. How many would say, I've got, I've got Romans chapter 8, I've got lots of it memorized. Maybe not in order, I couldn't quote maybe word for word, but I've got it pretty well nailed down pretty good. Anybody? All right, got one down here. Cool. How much miraculous stuff in Romans chapter 8 has become mundane? Let's just read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That is a miracle. I don't know about you, but I sin literally every day of my life. Not because I'm trying to. In fact, I try not to. But I don't have to try to. My old man, my flesh is is deceitful. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And before I know it, I've got sin to confess to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got sin to get right with Him. And yet, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That is a a miracle. It's a miracle that I will never stand before God and answer for a single one of my sins. Ever. Look at Romans chapter 8. You may have to turn the page I do in my Bible. The Bible says in verse 31, look at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Has the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ forgiven you of all your sin, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and makes intercession for you. By the way, that's not the only place in Scripture that that's mentioned. 
Has that become mundane? That is miraculous. You want to see one, another thing that's miraculous? Look at verse 27. The Bible's, or let's start in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he searcheth the hearts. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Goodness gracious, that is miraculous. The fact that we can go through every day of our life, and no matter what takes place in a day, point at it and say, all things are going to work together for good. That is miraculous. Boy, there ought to be hope just coming out of our faces all the time. I'll be the first to admit, when it becomes mundane, hope doesn't pour out of my face. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. I read too much Fox News, hope doesn't pour out of my face. Read Romans chapter 8, hope will start pouring out of your face. Facts are facts. Know what I mean? Besides that, Revelation's like reading the news anyway. Man, you could just keep going through Romans chapter 8. You go back a few verses. The Bible says in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know, none of us are slaves to God. We haven't even received the spirit of bondage. Now, I've operated in the spirit of bondage before since I've been saved. I felt like I had to serve God. That's the spirit of bondage. You know, you don't have to serve God. You get to. It's a blessing. But we sometimes operate in that spirit of bondage, don't we? Look at what else the Bible says. You have not been given that spirit of bondage, of fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That is miraculous. That the God of all creation would look at you as his own child. But somehow, sometimes... We need to heed the warning that just like these people in Nazareth get used to Jesus, you and me are fully susceptible and capable of getting used to Jesus. And the miraculous becomes mundane. It's true. It's a real warning that all of us need to heed. The second warning I want to give you is this. Don't let the majestic become monotonous. Don't let the majestic become monotonous. The majestic. Take your Bible if you would. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Do we live in a world where people are people? And people are messy? Yeah. Does it seem like things are getting messier to you? Or is that just me? And, and, and it seems like the, like the majestic just kind of blends into the background anymore. Like all of the messy stuff and the, and the monotonous day to day, the, man, these people got killed and, and this shooting took place and, and the, the president is signing this bill and the, and, and the, the, the polls are showing that these people are in the lead. And, and it's just like, it's just this monotonous just 
mess that keeps coming at you. And what fades into the background is the only one that really matters anyway. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 8. The Bible says in verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, that's a really good way to start the day. How in the world are you even awake and paying attention to me? And boy, I'll tell you what, when you can get your focus on the majestic, the monotony of everything just kind of fades into the background. And you know what the people in Nazareth were after? They were after signs. He says, you're going you're gonna to say this proverb to me, physician, heal thyself. And you're going to say to me, the works you've done in Capernaum, why don't you do them here? Because quite honestly, we're tired of the monotony. We want to see God show up. Right? Well, facts are facts. God showed up. And they looked right at Him. And because of all the monotony that was going on, they had the problems with the Romans. They had the problems with the Zealots. They had the problems with the Pharisees. They had the problems with the Sadducees. The exact same problems you and me deal with on a daily basis, they dealt with as well. And because of all of the mess and everything, God just sort of blended into the background, and when He came right in front of them, they missed Him completely. And I'll tell you, we have, a, we have a way in which we can do that too. Amen? You know, you want to read about some guys that overcame the monotony of day-to-day Christian living? Read the book of Daniel. Man, I'll tell you what, Daniel could have looked at any mess you want to pick. I mean, his, his town was literally where God dwelt. And yet, God had left, and, and, the, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had come in and tore everything to pieces, robbed the house of God, taken away all these people captive, changed their names, changed their diet, changed their rules, changed their education, changed everything. And he could have said, man, this is ridiculous. But somehow he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And then you look at his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and when everybody bows down to that idol, you see these three guys standing there. And when Nebuchadnezzar pulls them up and he says, hey, I'm going to give you guys another chance to bow down like I told you to do when the music plays. And they said, King, don't waste the time. We ain't going to bow down. You know why? Because beyond the monotony of everything that was going on and how nobody paid attention to God, They had decided, I'm going to pay attention to God. And you know, it it may seem like a small thing for us, that maybe just us pays attention to God. But if it is just us, doesn't He deserve that? 
Wouldn't you like to be the one that stood up and said, all right, I don't care if nobody says, I'm going to pay attention to God, listen to God, fear God, walk with God, honor God, love God, uh, and, and just work for God. I'm going to. So when I stand before God, He knows at least one person cared. Amen? But sometimes we, we really do let the majestic just become monotonous. It is a majestic thing to be in the house of God. Amen? I mean, when you guys said you were starting Patch Club up, I thought to myself, I, I tell my wife this all the time. I say, if, there's, if I had to pick one ministry, I mean, we work in multiple ministries. We're, we're kind of spread out and spread thin sometimes. You know what that's like. If I had to pick one ministry, it'd be running the van and bringing kids into what we call God's kids, be similar to your patch club. Man, I'll tell you right there, that's where it's at. That's where it's at for me. You pick up them kids, their parents ain't going to bring them. Their friends ain't coming all the time. But they're on that bus every Wednesday, they're on that van every Wednesday, and they're carrying their book, and they're carrying their Bible, and they got a smile on their face, and they're learning the Bible. And I'm telling you, that's where it's at for me. That is just one of my favorite things in the whole world. Spend an hour picking up kids and an hour dropping them off. That's two hours of discipleship time right there, amen? Every week. And man, it is great. We've seen kids come to know the Lord as their Savior, and we've seen people, uh, their lives and their homes affected. But I'll tell you, sometimes you can just become kind of monotonous. You know what I mean? And it's majestic to serve God. Amen? Last warning, I give you this. First one, let's do a quick review. Don't let the miraculous become mundane. Don't let the majestic become monotonous. And the last one I would say is this. Don't let the sacred become simple. Don't let the sacred become simple. You know what I think part of the problem was in Nazareth? Was that these people went to the synagogue every Saturday. You say, no, that's not part of the problem. That was a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing. But let's be 100% honest with ourselves. Go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Sometimes the, the sacred, we approach it with a very simple mindset, simple attitude. We forget we're coming into the house of God to worship the one true God, to honor the Savior who died for us. To learn from His Word. To learn from the the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that changed my family. My wife and I, we we start getting talking about where we were headed when we first got married. And man, all we can do is try to explain the miracle on why we are where we are today. And it makes no sense except that we just started taking serious the Bible. And it's quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Still, it's never gotten any duller. It's not, it's not lost any power. And I'll tell you what. We come sometimes into the house of God and we just, we kind of, we, we sit down in our seats and we sing our songs. But the sacredness has slipped away. And it can happen to any one of us. And I'll tell you right now, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, that's me. 
Man, you're not in a different spot than I've ever been. And I'll tell you, it'll change from week to week sometimes, depending on what goes on during the week. Amen? But I'll tell you, if you can heed the warning, you might come to a Saturday night and you might say to yourself, you know what, I don't want to go into the house of God tomorrow that way. Bless God, I ain't going to do it. And you might have some victory once in a while when you didn't expect it. But the first step is you got to acknowledge like, well, maybe that's, I need this. I need that warning. I don't want to be like those folks that they, they should have seen it. They should have got it. They, they should have known. But they didn't. Take your Bible and I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6. And I'll bet you, you know this passage, Matthew chapter 6. But I'll tell you right now, this sometimes, for me, this is where the sacred becomes real simple. And, and I, I say it to my own shame, but I, I'll bet I'm not alone. It's in the prayer closet. You know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5? The Bible says, and when thou prayest. It doesn't say if, by the way. It doesn't say if thou prayest. It says when thou prayest. It, it, every dad in here knows what, knows what that means. You didn't tell your kids if you get a chance. When you get the chance, you get that done. Right? When thou prayest, in verse 5, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and then when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. you picking up on the sacredness this is to God? I'll tell you right now, sometimes I think, we think, that God doesn't necessarily care if we don't pray. But I can't read that passage without falling under conviction and thinking to myself, if I don't pray, I think it hurts His feelings. Because he's expecting me to. Is that what you read? And he wants me to. He wants to hear from me. The Bible goes on to say in verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's sacredness. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, it's simple. It's a simple outline that we can follow in this this passage. But it's designed to be sacred. It's designed to be sacred. I think sometimes we let the sacred become very simple and nonchalant and and then we wonder where where the zeal is gone. Yeah, it's still there. It's still there. I hope that these warnings have served to you tonight to be something that would encourage you. But I want to encourage you with this thought that the best that God has for us is still yet to come. 
And I know a lot of people say that. You'll hear old preachers say, you know, I'm looking forward to heaven. The best is yet to come. I've had some, some good days. I've had some strong days. I've had some great days in the ministry. But you know, the best is yet to come. And to that I say, amen. I mean, amen. The best is yet to come. I'm glad the best ain't here on earth. But let's be real clear. If I go through my life thinking the best is back there, what does that tell me about what's to come in this life? Is it worth it to you? Ain't worth it to me. I don't want that to be the best. I'm thankful for all that God's done, but I'm looking forward to what God can still do. And I believe with all my heart the best for me is still yet to come. And it ain't based on me. It's based on what God's Word says. And I believe God's still going to save some souls. And I believe I get to be a part of it. Amen? And I believe God can still make a difference in this world. And I want to be a part of it. Amen? But I've got to have some faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that the best is still yet to come. It ain't back there. Glory days aren't over. Amen? You buy into that, I'll tell you right now. The miraculous will become mundane. And the majestic will become monotonous. And the sacred will become simple. But bless God, the best is yet to come. Amen? Who knows what will happen at Jerome Bible Baptist Church this fall? Who knows? Man, but isn't it exciting to wonder what's going to happen? Who's going to show up today? I wonder what would have been different in Nazareth if there was just one guy who showed up to church and said, I wonder what's going to happen today. But that guy didn't show up, did he? And instead, they almost cast the Savior off a cliff. Wow, what a difference, amen? Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for a privilege to preach.